What's up, guys? Welcome to the third episode of Talk Back On, where we go behind the scenes with these fine gentlemen here. We have our host, Jay Chong, the legend who paved the way for K-pop, an award-winning music producer, as well as composer. Kairos, who is an award-winning producer and songwriter as well. And I myself, KO. I'm an audio engineer, and I love to cook. <laughs> so... Um, <laughs> Uh, this week's circuit board um, is going to be requested by many of you out there. It's the Big Bad 808. Um, everyone loves to have these big, boomy 808s, but is it popping in your mix? So I hope you guys get a kick out of this one. Hey, what's up, guys? It's KO here. This week's circuit board, I want to show you guys a cool trick on making your 808s pop a little more through your mix. So let's get right into it. Let's check out the track first. Cool. So this track is uh, Peniel's Fly 23. Um, once again, the 808s already sound really beefy, heavy, um, and it seems like it will punch through really well. However, if you play this on smaller playback systems, you'll notice that it kind of gets thinned out and then the weight of this uh, 808 kind of disappears. So here's a little trick that I like to do uh, to add a little bit more mid-range. Um, to let it cut a little more. So first off, what I'm gonna be doing is bussing the track. And as you noticed right here, I have it set on pre-fader. This is important because uh, essentially you're pretty much duplicating the track or in a more technical term, you're copying the signal and uh, not allowing this volume fader to affect what you're gonna be doing here. This essentially allows us to solo this aux track So with this, what we're going to do is add uh, some EQ, which I've done to really kind of focus more on the mid range. As you can see here, I have a low cut as well as a high cut um, to really just hone in on the mid range. So next is this special trick right here. This, I'm using a guitar amp simulator. You're more than welcome to try other different uh, type of saturation plugins that I went through last, last time, or um, let's play around with different guitar simulators as well. This is from Waves. Um, I know uh, Native Instruments have guitar rig. Um, there's a bunch of stuff from UAD as well too. So every mix is gonna present a different type of 808 sound. So I always like to spend some time playing around with it to really try to find something that suits the song. So let's try playing it with this guitar amp. So that really sounds different now. Um, however, what I wanted to do more is actually kind of control it by adding a compressor on it. And you can see that I'm going pretty heavy on this compressor, about negative 10 dBs of gain reduction.
So the reason why I'm actually pushing this compressor a little hard um, is to even out the dynamics a little more and make it consistent. Um, that way we have a little bit more control over the signal. Last but not least, I'm just going to do some fine tune adjustments with EQ. Um, I've taken out a lot of the harsh frequencies as well as some of the mid range um, that might be muddying it up a little bit, some low mids. And as you can see, even though we cut out a lot of the high end here, I'm boosting um, around 12K to kind of bring up a little bit more of the harmonics, um, the high end harmonics, just to give it a little bit of a sizzle. So now let's hear it. So now let's play it back together and see how it sounds. That's cool. Now I can bring it down to the level that I want. All right, let's just play everything back together. Without it. With it. Cool, hope you guys got to learn something from this one. Um, this is a great way to make your 808 pop in your mix, especially in smaller playback systems and larger ones as well too, so. Um, enjoy, use it, and um, hope you guys are able to make some killer tracks. See you guys next time. And we're back. Hope you guys enjoyed this week's circuit board. Now to you guys, is there a certain way you guys like to process your 808s? 808s. It's the magic thing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, for me, uh, I think, you know, I think uh, kind of like what you did uh, with saturation. I think saturation is key. Uh, and also like sidechain compressing with a kick to yeah. add the attack uh, so the 808 would actually duck when the the kick hits uh, and you know I used to use compressors for that and then uh, recently I switched over to this thing called uh, track spacer have you tried that Hoban from uh, uh, it's from wave it's from waves factory uh-huh uh, what it does is it's not really compressing it's actually carving out the EQ like Oh. like a reverse like like phased eq of that signal so it carves it out so uh so when the kick hits it dips the 808 uh like kind of like size compression but you don't have to have all these controls it just has one big knob on it and you just kind of uh you know like kind of adjust it with that one knob and it's really convenient so i, I just started using that a lot that's cool. I think now we're going to need a part two. Of <laughs> <laughs> How about yourself, Kairos? Is there a certain way you like your 808s to be processed? Uh, I definitely like to use, um, like there's this uh, thing in Waves. It's, I think it's called a driver. It's just this one simple um, knob. You just, you just, you know, um, turn and I use that on 808s and it just adds, uh, you know, the distortion. So it just cuts through the mix a little bit, but um, I don't, I don't get too fancy with 808s. I just want to try to find, um, something that, you know, it's, it's just right there almost to where, you know, it's, it's 
you know, tone selection and sound selection. I, I usually try to make sure that I cut as much time with um, just the selection process. So with even with 808s, I try to make sure I find something that I like and it cuts through the mix. And obviously with every song, it's um, it's going to be different. So, um, you know, I like to have my options uh, available. Yeah. yeah, that's cool. Yeah, there's definitely an aspect of processing it to make sure that it pops in your kick or in your mix, sorry. But there's also the other side where the tone is a huge thing too. Because mm. I think especially yeah. like one of the biggest ways to make 808s even or pop or just make it sound really good off the back is just having it um, kind of mesh with your kick really well too. Yes. I think sometimes mm -hmm. they just, some people would just choose the same kick and the 808s that just kind of, they don't blend too well. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> they end up becoming more of a problem later on in the mix than it does actually helping out your production. So I think that's definitely a good point too. Now, in terms of like the creative process, nowadays, you know, we we're able to just kind of have ideas and just kind of put it out there anytime we want, right? Um, especially from your earlier albums, how was it, it the creative process like? Is it, um, is it something I feel like at that time you kind of need to be inside of a studio at all times? There's a record company for a reason, you know? Uh, now you could put your music out on YouTube or, or, you know, or Spotify on your own and all this stuff. Uh, just to record music, you have to be in like a multi-million dollar studio, right? I mean, to record. And, you know, uh, even before me, there's a thing called like Synclavier or like a, like a synthesizer where, you know, a, a keyboard costs half a million dollars back in the early 80s, right? So, so like, you know, only people like Quincy Jones, you know, David Foster, you know, just few select like real key producers will be able to use those gear to make albums. So like like the record companies would obviously finance that right like you know or they own the studio so they'll they'll rent it out to you and finance the whole thing, uh, so like you know it, it, you actually had to have a record company or or a financier like like really come with the funds to make an album back then like you can't just do it in your bedroom right and. Wow. Uh, you know, and like you know, we can't. We didn't have the luxury of Pro Tools where we just track and send stems over via email. <laughs> oh God, you know that would have been so easy back then. The, <laughs> like the funny part is this: like back then, you know, making music was so difficult, right? Like the process of it. Like you know, you have to have two-inch tapes and consoles. You know, using these like really like primitive like automation tools and all this stuff to make an album. And and but but. It, it sold like millions of copies, yeah. right? And now, like, like music is so easy to make, you know, it's so accessible. But then now, it's just like it's so hard to sell albums, right? Or monetize on on music. It's just, it's just, yeah. That that offset is so crazy if you think about it. You know. Yeah, yeah I think that's one big change too. Is, um, you know, like if we're talking about CDs. If you wanted to buy it just like or just constantly listen to one song, you have to buy the whole CD. Yeah. Nowadays, you can just pick the song that you want and be able to grab that. So, yeah, uh, yeah that's totally different industry back then, too. Yeah. I mean, you know, fortunately, K pop, you know, uh, CDs are still selling, you know, and obviously mm -hmm. the people who are buying it don't even own a CD player. It's just, it's just a souvenir, right? <laughs> so, like the cool thing about selling CDs, though, is that like even if you kick, even if you get a B-side cut placed on on an album, you still make royalties off these album sales, right? 
right? So there's like a little bit of that. Uh, if CDs weren't selling and people were just buying like individual songs off of like iTunes or streaming, yeah, it's it'd be a whole different landscape, right? Yeah. Like you know, only only people who get the single cuts uh, would see any money, right? <laughs> right? So that's just something to think about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I wonder how that impacts uh, creativity because you know, like you said, you know, back in the day, you you you're limited to your resources, but um, but you know, you it's like you have more space to create. Is whereas now there's just more static. You know, there's just so many things going on. And yeah. you know, figure out how to cut through all of that static. Yeah, I mean things like splice, it, it kind of evens out the playing field. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like now everybody has access to like professional sounds that only professional had access to in the past, right? You know, like each each sample CD, like you know, cost like what, like a hundred bucks each back in the day, right? So if you don't like, like you know, a lot of kids couldn't afford that. Right, you know, like a ten ten sample CDs is like a thousand dollars. Like for most, you know, teenagers, like they they can't afford something like that, right? Now you can just go on Splice and like get just badass samples, like <laughs> like. And so everybody has, you know, and then you can download, you know, softwares to, you know, like you could even get free DAWs and you know, like GarageBand and stuff. Make make full records, right? So that's a great thing, but you know, at the same time, there's no like curating or filtering of the the quality. So, like like in the older days, like just to be able to get a record deal, because there's so much money that goes into a record, and just to make the record, right? So like you have to be, you have to come correct, like you have to be really legit to be an artist. So that process in itself was a filter. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And then, so now we don't have that. So everybody, you know, I call it like homeboy records. Like everybody has a, like a homeboy records at home. Like just, we're a record company. Like we have a label and it's pumping out songs, you know. And, and the, to tell you the truth, a lot of them are very good, right? So like, it's sort of a level the playing field, man. Like, so people who are on the high, high seat, you know, what do you call it? High, like place. And, you know, they're like, oh my God, these little, you know, these young kids, you know, coming up with stuff that's just blow me away, right? So there's a lot of lot of new talent uh, just being exposed, and now we're seeing a lot of that, right? Yeah, I, I um, you're so right about just how accessible everything is now, you know, and like, and even just studios, uh, you know, it, it it's it's very expensive to go into studios. I mean, now even the rates have changed, even uh, with the rate changes. I mean, you're still, um, you know, looking at paying thousands of dollars just to you know get your. Yeah. But when you, <laughs> And, you know, like people, rent, people rent studios like that. I don't know. Like, like most people like, and I'm, I'm talking like, like top producers in, you know, in the States, right? Like you see them renting out like $3,000 studios and they just have a MacBook sitting on top of the console <laughs> and they're just recording on to like a MacBook, just like they would do at home. I, I call it like the most expensive computer stand, right? <laughs> you got like a million dollar computer stand. And only thing operating is like the outputs, right? Like the stereo outputs, and maybe like one uh, mic mic channel going into Pro Tools, right? So, yeah. and 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 we're doing that uh, not because of convenience; it's for the artists, right? Sometimes artists want that studio vibe, or you know, yeah. whatever. But uh, at the end of the day, it goes right back to uh, you know our home studio, like kind of a setup. Right. Well, I mean, um, I think when when I came out here, I was um, 
you know, I was in the sessions with like, well, I am, um, you know, at a record plant, you have like, you know, multi-million dollar, you know, facility, you have like, you know, runners, assistants, you have engineers, you have producers, and then you look over at the board and there's, there's only two tracks left and right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Left and right. Like, yeah, the master track, you know, uh, but like, like a lot of studios do rent out rooms to, uh, like producers. You know, I've been in, uh, many sessions with strings in Korea and, and that's when I realized, ah, okay. I see multiple channels being used on an SSL console for the first time. I'm like, Oh, that's what it's for. Right. Yeah. But, but for like most pop stuff, man, you just need like one channel for the mic. Right. right? Uh, you know, and maybe, maybe a preamp for a guitar and that's it. Like, so most people do it at home. Uh, and all the, all the QXs, you know, the production companies in Korea have their own, recording studio you know mm. for the most part uh i mean it's not like a full-on like ssl like you know like like 80s 70s 80s kind of style but yeah they have like pretty pretty nice setups man like all all the kxs have really nice studios man you know and uh i think it's for the clients to come in and go wow look at this building <laughs> <laughs> or investors to go oh hey you guys got this thing going on like let me put some more money in yeah yeah uh. Yeah, I think the strings uh, that you mentioned is such an important thing, especially with like OSTs, um, you know, ballads as well, too. Yeah. Um, that's a very interesting thing. I actually saw a YouTube video on, I believe there are uh, string arrangers in Korea. And mm -hmm. the way they actually map everything out in MIDI first before they go out to or hire a string team to record it. Yeah. It was insane, the programming that they did uh. to it. To be honest with you, I mean, like, uh, uh, you know, there's no disrespect to the, the classical community. It was very difficult for me, like, to uh, to work with uh, orchestral people, like, because they're, they're in a different world, right? So me coming from uh, the pop side, I had to have, like, a middle guy. Uh, like, so, so, you know, I, I hired, like, a very good string arranger who has a network of string players to come in and, and basically he organized the whole thing and did it like there's and after the fact i look at it i go there's no way i would have been able to do that myself like there's just no way uh, it's just there's this trust system that happens with uh string players and this the 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 orchestrator right so like other than the orchestrator they don't trust anybody like like they think you're not going to pay them to play so like like, like literally in the middle of the sessions, I have people like stop and go, Hey, uh, is the money in the bank? <laughs> right. And, he, and you're like, yo, like, like, yeah, you know, like I'm going to pay you after the session. They're like, no, 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 we need it now. Like right now. And then, so I had to call the company and it was just like, Whoa. And then, then the, the orchestrator kind of like calm everybody down and sort of like put everything back on the track. Right. And I was like, Oh my God, I almost had a heart attack. Like, yeah, I, I, I did a session where they came in. And they yeah. were X amount of hours, literally, like they just did one take, two, maybe two at most, and they yeah. just, and then like no yeah. or anything, and it was just like because classical community, you understand, in Korea, it's a very elitist kind of aristocratic culture, right? So a lot of these people are from very rich families, and they think like pop producers like us are like like tantaras, like yeah. you know, like <laughs> these guys are like street kids, like. And, and that's the first time I actually felt like, oh my God, like these people are like discriminating me. <laughs> and you know, you know, like in the studio, like producers are supposed to be like in charge, right? 
man, they actually like they absolutely took over, and I was like, oh my god, I was so I was so freaked out by the whole experience. Yeah, totally. I I totally agree. I mean, it's it's uh, a very different world. I feel like, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> I don't want to shit on that whole classical community, but like, seriously. The studio community is very unique in that sense because, like you said, I think right now, like we have, you know, home studios, project studios, and a lot of people are just doing th- things, you know, through Zoom and things like that. But um, I still remember like walking through, you know, the hallways and hearing different music. Like, you know, we, I talked about Will I Am. I remember him making, um, I think, Scream and Shout with Britney when that was mm-hmm. happening. I remember Blurred Lines. I remember hearing it through like the, the walls, you know, when that was happening. Uh, yeah. It caused a lot of uh, controversy too, but um, you know these records. I feel like you know just being in LA. I think that's kind of like the yeah. uh, the advantage, you know, like where you, you get to kind of be around the music that's going to be you know the the future, I guess, you know, on the radio. Yeah, like I think yeah, like Jason Derulo played the "Talk Dirty to Me" that song. We're like, oh yeah, like yeah. Everybody in the studio is just like floored, right? Like being in the studio in Korea for me uh, personally, like like, and being in the studio in LA or uh, you know in the states, it's just a completely different experience. Yeah. Like I don't know, I don't know what it is. Like you know, when you're in studio in LA, like there's some kind of a magical feel to the whole thing. Like when you walk in, you're like ah, and then you know the weather's nice and <laughs> like you, you know and, and you you know you see like people like 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 all these famous people in the hallways. You're like wow, like you're you're somewhere, right? Like I I think. Majority of our records that we made in Korea, like like you know, all the studios in Korea are in the basement, right? So so you don't see sunlight for days, right? So like, and I think uh, majority of our stuff we were recording in the middle of winter, so like we're like freezing our balls off, like like in in the basement, like just just <laughs> right, and just like you know, and we didn't have any social life really because we didn't have any friends either, so we would just go to studio back to the uh the, the apartment whatever and it was just uh, you know like like we tried to be as creative as we could possibly be you know in that environment but it was really really hard you know yeah and and lot and lots you know things have changed back then like like the engineer was king like you're in his kingdom like once you walk into the studio so like like I remember in a session, uh, we were doing a, a, a like a house music, like like house song, right? Like a dance track, and you know in house music you don't put reverb on the snares, yeah, right. And this guy had like this engineer put massive reverb on the snare, and it was just like boom, pa, boom, pa, just echoing out, right? And you know the snare has to be very tight, you know, like this. And then so I said, I asked really politely, I go, hey, uh, could you like take the reverb down? And he takes it down like a little notch. And I go, like, no, let me like, can you take it down even further? And then, and then uh, he got really upset. Oh. And, and uh, like one guy, he just said, you know what? Do it yourself. And he just walked out of the studio. So I was like, oh man. Uh, and, and because uh, we were from the States, I think like we, you know, we were trying to like fix something, right? Like, because we knew how it was it's supposed to sound. I think most people just have to kind of like, let it happen and not yeah you know like 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 not make any inputs yeah right so once i i, I made an input man like it was <laughs> i realized okay and, and you know like when you're recording vocals sometimes you know like in the headphones like hey uh excuse me like could you turn me up in the headphones 
and they're like, it's pretty loud already. And then you're like, uh, you know, I can't hear myself. And then they're like, uh, you know, <laughs> it's like, it's like, you know, after a while, like, uh, you know, it's just like, it's, it's very hard to get things done. Yeah. Why? Right. So, so, and it was like, every time you, 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 you know, it's your own song you're trying to record and you have to be very polite and like ask very nicely, like, ah, excuse me, like, could you go back and like redo that part for, you know? And it was just, it was very tense. Uh, whereas here it was just kind of like, you know, the engineers are there for you. Right. So like, hey, you know, like whatever you need, you know, like, you know, you know, in the middle of the session, Hey, I'm kind of hungry. Got the runners going out, grabbing food for you. And it's just a different vibe. Like, right. <laughs> for every producer you have, you know, you have the, a good engineer, you're, you're set, you know, like I know. Yeah. Hale and I, we have had uh, countless of sessions where things that we just never even communicated, you know, we didn't even have to even talk to each other. Things were just done. Um, even if I try to grab something in the middle of a session, like, you know, KO would already boom, you know, it's, it's already done yeah. set up, you know? And so like, it, there was just a way of just, uh, everything flowing, um, just based on the, the chemistry between a producer and, a, and an engineer. And I just, sure. Uh, I, and I think that's why everybody's kind of like, like you mentioned, you know, going into the home studio mode is because they just like basically work with people they click with. Yeah. Right. So like, you know, if you have to go to a commercial studio and like, you know, you have to deal with like this engineer <laughs> in every studio and it's, it's very stressful. Like yeah. it was for me, like, yeah. right. Yeah, Especially I mean, going in there as, as one of the younger kids, like I was one of the youngest in the studio, so I couldn't really get my word in, uh, you know, and now, you know, now that I'm older, like most engineers are younger than me. So they're like, oh, okay, you know, and there's like this kind of uh seniority kind of thing, right. In, in Korea. Yeah. So, uh, you know, when we went there, like, as you know, like when I was in my early twenties, man, it was, it was tough to communicate with like the engineers to get things done. I think mm -hmm. a lot of that has been bridged over time. Um, but it still happens in K-pop. I feel like, you know, a lot of ANRs and it, it has to do with culture. Um, part, yeah. but it also has to do with just uh, a lot of different personalities in the room, you know, and like, Oh yeah, absolutely. Like, you know, uh, in fact, like, I think our, our second album on, uh, you know, I, I use the same engineer even till now, like, and, uh, he's a, he, now he's a mastering engineer. He masters most of my stuff. Uh, his name is, uh, Francis, uh, Song Jung and he's, and, and so what happened was, uh, he was, he was very cool because, uh, he was from New York. He, he got it. He understood like what we're trying to do. So what he did was like, you know, like he's. He just he saw me fiddling with the you know the faders and all this stuff and he said you know what I'm I'm just gonna teach you how to do this, right? Mm -hmm. And and I said okay and he's like you do it I'm gonna take a nap, right? And then once I'm done with my nap and you're done with like what you're trying to do, I'll try to come back and kind of make sure that you didn't go off too far you know deep end right like like and try to kind of fix everything that you did. Cool. So and that's how he kind of taught me how to do a lot of things. Uh, and, and he actually taught me uh, a majority of like, like not so much the technical stuff, but like, oh, you know, why the low end needs to be like this or why, you know, like you need to compress certain things. And like, he used to teach me this stuff. Yeah. And so I, I eventually started kind of mixing my own stuff. And that's kind of like how I learned. And then, and then, then when I started doing my uh, gigs in Taiwan, uh, uh, there's a big brother named Jim Lee, who's like still like OG engineer. Uh, and he, he's like, yo, like same thing. He would just be like, "Yo, you already know how to do this stuff. You do it yourself. I'll come in, you know, and and I'll like like fix whatever you messed up 
or you know whatever kind of be be your safety net right and that's how he kind of taught me as well so like I, I was very fortunate because like i got to learn from like two top engineers from two different markets yeah. and you know and then they taught me like like okay you know in asia you know the vocals need to be like a little bit louder than you know what you're used to in the western market yeah. and which is still true today right yep. um there are certain things that kind of holds true like throughout the generations and, and one thing is like that asian people love to go to karaoke right <laughs> right so it's very vocal centric so like you know to be able to like kind of cater to some of those things and go and he'll go like hey you know these events when you do them in korea and you have low frequency blasting like that you gotta fart out all the speakers like you need to turn that down yeah you know da, da, da. uh whatever you know like those kind of things uh they they kind of mentored me through that whole process um, so i was very fortunate yeah i want to bring up something that is i think um important for um songwriters and producers out out there especially that's working in different cultures and like you know k-pop for instance you know there are times where you just have to just move on you know there are there are oh, yeah. that you have to pick producers uh you know like a lot of people at a certain level you know they just kind of work with their friends and people they're comfortable with uh they've never really worked with clients that, that they don't know yeah right direct on or like me you know even uh, for k-pop producers they might be out there uh, in Korea, but they have like a uh, like a Korean writer there, kind of mediating it or something like that. Where there's a middle guy, they're not dealing with artists directly one on one, right? So there's there's that aspect of producing where like it's we have to be sort of like musicians slash psychiatrists, you know, like therapists and all this stuff, like you know, like yoga artists and all this stuff. Like we have to relax the artist, you know. Sometimes you know, like. Yeah, you got. You might get some crazy people coming into the studio, like yeah, you know, uh, artists. You know, uh, they come in all all kinds of uh, <laughs> flavors, right? Yeah. Right, and some some are uh, just completely off the map, and you just gotta like uh, you gotta get your work done, and you know, and be out, right? So yeah. you have to really uh, like sometimes take uh, things that might not seem fair to you, right? And, you know, until you get to a certain place, you won't be able to redeem yourself, like, by arguing with, you know, fans or, you know, arguing with artists or A&R people. Uh, you know, I think the key thing is this. I think for any uh, musicians out there trying to, like, pitch songs or try to make it in music producing at any capacity, like, you have to have pretty high tolerance <laughs> uh, for BS, right? And a lot of things that don't make sense. Uh, yeah. even creatively, whatever, like, you know, culturally, whatever. Uh, and you just have to kind of, uh, you know, keep on trucking, go right through that and, and overcome a lot of it. Uh, and yeah. if you have to like, you know, like, like basically, like you said, like pick the battles, right. Yeah. If you fight with everybody or, you know, uh, uh, you know, I think at the end of the day, most people want to work with people that are easy to work with. Mm. Right. And, you know, there's a lot of great writers out there. Right. And so like in terms of like skill level, I think everybody's pretty much up to par. Like, right. So I think for a lot of people, people like to work with people that are easy to work with and so forth, you know, like, you know, you could have a great song, but you know, if the guy's like bugging you about publishing and, you know, like demanding all kinds of stuff afterwards and like holding like, you know, release dates back and all the stuff for one writer, they're never going to work with that person again. Right. Right. Yeah. A lot of times the relationship part of it is not something that we're really trained, you know, in. And uh, I know we, you know, we, we get 
the 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 technical side we get the theories and all that stuff but um just how we communicate how we deal with egos and how we deal with um you know just different um scenarios uh, based on the the music and, and like you said just the business side of it i think is is very important for um us to consider um you know learning more about and obviously like um you know i i know inst instantly when someone is more on the amateur side based on yeah. like, what they say you know um about like publishing or music and how things need to be addressed because uh you know like i know these are sensitive things and sometimes uh, you know we want to address it quickly but um but we have to think about like is this going to affect the relationship is this going to affect you know how i work with somebody and and um and just build a future um you know in terms of just how we work together uh collaborating and things like that so yeah and also it, it depends on what level you're doing it at too right like so if you if you're doing a song with an indie artist and you know like like you know you got songs like on spotify you know even with a million streams you're only making like a few thousand bucks right <laughs> right so like you know if, if the artist is demanding contracts and having lawyers look at it your legal fee is going to be far greater than the money you're going to make right so like like you got to spend thousands of dollars on lawyers to make like twenty dollars right <laughs> basically at the end of the day so you know like you gotta you gotta basically pick your battles right so you know obviously if you're gonna write a song for taylor swift yeah you know if she, if your song gets picked you gotta want to see some contracts or whatever but from my experience in you know and i've i've written over 500 songs for artists and and i would say if i probably only seen maybe 20 contracts <laughs> along the way right and these are like major artists like we just we just like hey you know, like just just get to work, right? And then, uh, you know, we pay we'll pay you the the same rate, right? Okay, cool. We we'll just we we'll just we we'll just get to work and get get the album out, and then we handle the publishing, obviously. But in terms of like, like oh yeah, could you send over the you know the production contract and then have my lawyers look at it, correct it, send it back? Uh, first thing is this: like most record companies, when they give you a contract, it's non-negotiable, like <laughs> right. Like this is what it is. Uh, this is the terms, and then uh, like if you don't like it, we can't work with you. Like that's uh, for a lot of record companies. Right. So right. So you know. So if 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 you're like, oh well, you know, well the writer for Taylor Swift gets this. Like how come I don't get that? You know. If you start to get really picky with stuff, uh, they might work you with. They might work with you that one time, but they, I guarantee they'll never call you back again. Right. So. You know, even even uh, I would say like people that are around me like that's written hundreds of songs. Like a lot of times, like most of these projects get done with like no contracts. Mm -hmm. It's all like on a handshake, like an agreement, right? Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, I've heard someone um, you know text me about a, a situation where you know there it was like a buyout buyout situation, and they you know they mm -hmm. had an offer on the table. And they felt like you know they could kind of stretch it a little bit you know and they felt like they could mm -hmm. negotiate a little bit more um but I, I i was just very frank with him i remember telling him i said listen you know that there are other writers that they, they can do the same thing you know and maybe you, <laughs> you know and so you got to think about this you do you want to just get one lump sum of this this money that you have in mind um for this project uh or do you want you know to look at longevity you know with this client and if you're thinking about like building that relationship you need to you need to invest in that based on you know like you need to invest in the relationship um even if it's taking less or even if you had sure i mean even if it, sometimes you got to do it for free even like you know and so 
So there's been a lot of discussions on Clubhouse amongst producers about that. Like, okay, where, where do you draw the line, right? Like, when do you do free stuff? When do you do favors? Uh, when do you ask for pay? You know, when do you get contracts written? Uh, you know, and it, there's no real, like, guidelines to any of that. You got to sort of, it's it comes down to kind of street smart, right? Like, you have to kind of read, read the, the client and kind of go with it. And like you said, if somebody goes like, hey, we want to buy out the song, and you're like, no, I want to, you know, I want publishing, and you didn't disclose this at the beginning. Uh, okay, that's going to be your last <laughs> project with that company, right? Guaranteed, right? So, you know, my thing when I, when I teach, uh, uh, like, newcoming producers or whatever, it's like, how do you turn this 15 minutes of fame into, like, a 20-year career, right? Right. Right? And that's the key. Like, a lot of times... Let things slide. Like, be easygoing, right? I don't be a pushover, obviously. Like, I mean, don't give everything away for free, but be be able to, like, you know, and if somebody's, you know, hey, you know, they're on a tight budget, work with it, right? And, you know, uh, not every single deal is going to be ideal, right? right? And, you know, whatever. So, like, like kind of, like, be able to be kind of uh, flexible, right? And uh, I think that's the key, to a lot of things like being able to have clients call you back because number one you're very efficient you got it done on time you're very punctual and you know your price is right right <laughs> right and like and you're very professional and very easy going those are like the requirements right and then once you fit that bill they'll keep calling you back right yeah. and eventually what happens is this right like uh like in uh i mean i don't know if it still goes on now but like to, to some degree, like when I started my career and uh, I started having like some hit songs and, and you know, and, and I didn't get get to my head, right? <laughs> I didn't get big headed about it. And then every every new new project, I took it on as if it's like my first. And I, I, I kept doing that and, and people appreciated that and kept calling me back. And, and, and then when you do that, you realize in, in any of these markets, there's only like a handful of people that writes every track on, in the market, yeah. right? Like the, the guys, like, I don't know, like I would say like, at least in Taiwan, I think at, there was like maybe like less than five people yeah. that were writing every song in the top 50, oh. right? And uh, like, I became one of those guys because I was very easy to work with, right? And, uh, and, and all those guys that are in there, equal, <laughs> they're just like the coolest guys, right? So we, we had like, this bond like with with the guys and uh we pretty much produced like every artist that was in town right because and and they wouldn't risk it on a new guy right because they don't know if this guy's gonna be on time you know if he's gonna be easy to work with they don't know that right so they just they'll just go with whatever worked right and that just kept going and repeated itself for like 10 20 years and and we've maintained that right so that that i don't know that's uh, that's a lot of it being flexible yeah I think that's so important to um, hear for a lot of people that are entering this industry, because I think, you know, like entitlement is a real thing. And you know, a lot of, for whatever reason, yeah. you know, people, people just approach um, thinking that they deserve everything because they have a diploma or they have, you know, they have some experience, <laughs> they work with so-and-so. Um, but, I, you know, it's, it's like, I think there's so many of that going on that to be yeah. different is almost like saying, well, you know, let's be easy to work with. Like you said, being flexible, you know, and I know yeah. I, I won't mention his name, but you know, there's a, uh, you know, a high profile mix engineer that I, that shared with me that he mixed over 500 songs in, in a year one time. Uh, wow. 
that's a lot of songs. That's a lot. But, um, but you know, that also means that he hasn't taken his rates. You know, he's done it for free. Yeah. You know, and um, but one thing he said, uh, you know, after that was that he's like, he's like, well, you know, I got much better, and this is how I got better. This is how I became one of the top guys in the in the industry. Yeah. You know, and um, and that mindset is somewhat lacking, you know, these days. And I think that you know, just changing some of those steps or approach would. Uh, yeah. I think uh, a lot of the uh, the younger kids right now are like like they know too much, right? Like they see stuff on YouTube, they hear about other producers, and they know these deal structures that happen in major labels. I mean, they they do their homework, right? So, so like when when people like get their song placed, hey, make sure you get yours, you know, like yeah. get your money, get your money right. Like otherwise, like you you know you're selling yourself short. Like you got to know your worth, know your worth, right? And like I always tell people, like your worth. Is about minus five hundred thousand dollars to me when I see you for the first day because that's how much money I'm gonna have to put into you to make you famous, right? Right. So like, uh, there's yeah, like you said, there's no entitlement there. Like like you have to know your place and uh, uh, know your worth in in both sides. Like you have to know that you're not worth very much at the very beginning, right? And once you're proven worthy, then of course people would like you know value that and and, and give you more, right? And a lot of people want to start right from the top, from the get-go. And yes, they might get a title cut even on an album a few times, but it would be very hard to keep that up for like 10, 20 years. Right. Right? So in order to have, you know, 10, 20 year careers, you have to have relationships with these people. Yes. You have, to, you have to know these artists personally. Yeah. Right? So if this artist is doing the next album and says, you know what, you know, I just went through a divorce. Uh, you know, I want to, I got a lot of story to tell. Like, I want to work with you. Like, for six months, just put this album together. Or, you know, they could confide in you, like, right? And, and you, could, you can make an album together. So, like, if you look at, like, uh, you know, Dua Lipa or, you know, Taylor Swift, they make, these days, they make albums about their life, like, their, you know, experiences, what they're going through currently, right? Yeah. And they like to work with a producer they feel comfortable, and they make an entire album with that one producer, like, yeah. mostly, right? So, so it's there's a lot of that going on, you know? And then, of course, there's, like, writing camps and just kind of, it's kind of like, like sending out headshots to casting agents, right? <laughs> like you know, let, let, let's hit a, hit a lotto and maybe I get casted in a movie or something, right? Like uh, what I'm saying is like if you know the movie producer or if you know the movie company or I don't know, like one of the investors, you, know, you have relationships. It's much easier, yep. right? Yeah. Very true. Um, actually, I have a good question uh, from that. So, if someone wants to Start like that kind of um, you know professional relationship with you. Um, what are the the right ways to do it, and what are the wrong ways to do it? Uh, I'll start with the wrong way to do it. Wrong way is when you DM somebody and says, "Let's work." Uh, <laughs> I, I, you got you get a bunch of those, right? Yeah, yeah. I've, I've I've been getting a ton of those since uh, Clubhouse. Like every ever since I signed on Clubhouse, I get DMs. Let's work. And here, like, and, and you get like a link to a YouTube video, and then, uh, you know, it's just it doesn't work that way, right? Uh, and, and you know, there's like these people that teach you, like, hey, maybe go in there, like all the pictures, and pretend you guys are like friends, and then, and it, you know, uh, you, you can't fake relationships, right? Uh, and it's it's very difficult. Like, I mean, unless unless you got fire, fire, fire music, right? And like, and you send me something, and I just happen to click on it, and it just blew me away, yeah. right? Those kind of people like will start working like like immediately, yeah. right? And 
I, I see that even now. Like, like I think whether you're an artist or you're a writer, if your stuff is fire, you'll be working like right now, right? No problems. Like, uh, or like you, it's just a matter of time before you get there. Uh, a lot of people need some improvements, and for that to happen, you have to have real relationships where and you get advice from people, right? right? And to get to a point where somebody's you know takes their time off their busy schedule to give you advice and all that stuff that t- that requires a next level of relationship, right? Right. And it doesn't happen through DMs. Yep. And you go, how does it happen? How does any relationships happen? It happens by the act of God sometimes, right? Like how we met, right? Like how did how did we meet? Like we met at a party, right? <laughs> like, right? Some food festival, and then we're like, hey, you know, and, and then uh, we connected, right? And, 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 you know, we had similar interests and da da da, da. Uh, But, you know, like, like so, so it's it's just like any relationship. You have to go out and meet people and not be so desperate and yeah. so uh, upfront with what you want, right? I remember what I said. I said, um, I actually thank you for what you've done for this industry because it, it meant a lot to me. And, you know, I, I kind of shared with you that, um, you know, this everything you've done uh, definitely played a huge part in, you know, who I am today and, you know, even as a producer and, as a person and you know and i just want to appreciate you and just kind of reached out to you um and that's all wow, see, see kairos is really good yeah but <laughs> no. he's a pro you got it he's a pro he's a yeah you know like that's all i wanted to get across um you know and and have the opportunity to say that you know because that really meant a lot but um but you know like the dms i'm getting i mean hoban you know i kind of shared with him this week well, it's spam, spamming, right? Basically, like, and I always tell people, don't don't do that. You know, like that's just not how things uh, happen. When you talk to people, you gotta like kind of figure out what they need and try to offer some of that. Yeah. Right. And and, and try to like kind of, you know, kind of leverage that in, in, into a relationship, even right. Right. Well, so that's what you know. That's what internships are. You know, it's like it's like you're giving value by going there, cleaning the toilets. You know, for now. Yeah for um, conversations and, you know, for networking. And uh, a lot of times, you know, you hear guys go, well, you know, or girls that say, well, I'm not, I'm not going to clean toilets. So that's not what I do. You know, but you don't, if you, if I can't trust you cleaning my toilets, how can I trust you with some of the bigger stuff (laughs) coming through the, you know, with business? So it's just, I mean, you know, I think it's really uh, something important that a lot of the people that are coming into this industry have to understand because, you know, they're, they're looking for the, the ticket, you know, like they're looking for the shortcuts and, um, you know, there, there really isn't short. Like, I remember someone asking me like, how do you, how did you get there? Or how did you, I said, hard, you know, it's a lot of hard work. And like you said, you know, there's, um, you know, in, in God's perfect timing, you know, yeah, there are things that we can't explain, but if you're not ready and if you're, if you're, if you don't have the right attitude, um, then, uh, you're, you're gonna- you know, like when it comes to networking, man, uh, like, like if I could talk about my youth, like like in my teens and my early twenties, like I started working professionally in music when I was about nineteen, right? So up until nineteen, like I don't think people even understand how much I've been out, like just networking. Like I was everywhere, like I was at every club. I knew everybody in town. Like I just like just I was all over the place, right? And this is before I was in the group Solid. Like this is when I was like just. A teenager growing up here in California, right? Like, I was at every club, just trying to network with people, and like, you know, if somebody even had a, a 
any con- connections to the mu- music industry, like I'll drive up like maybe an hour to go meet him, you know, yeah. and just just trying to get like connected somehow, some way into the business, right? And I, I keep explaining to people, I go, you know, music, because like this whole um, culture of inclusion and tolerance and all this stuff, right? Like they think like like companies are just have to, you know, include you in everything and tolerate everything. Like it, it doesn't work that way. Entertainment business is highly, highly anti-inclusive, <laughs> right? It, it's exactly what it is. It's almost like uh, the, the hardest circle of people to get into. Right. So like, right. So, so, you know, and people go, oh, you know, it's hard for an Asian person to make it in Hollywood. No, it's hard for a Caucasian to make it in Hollywood. Like it's very hard for everybody to make it in Hollywood. Right. So, and same with K-pop too. I mean, there's like a, like a group of people that are the real insiders. And when, when they, when the new person comes into that circle, it makes everything very awkward. Right. So like, how do you break the ice and how do you do that? Uh, it's different with everybody, you know, personality for me. Uh, you know, I was very lucky because I got to meet certain people that was kind of like the lead into that circle, mm. right? And how does that happen? Again, it's an act of God. Like it's 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 a uh, it's something you can't fabricate or make happen, right? So you can't just DM somebody and expect you know something to happen. It, like like for me, you know, I think like a lot of Korean American guys growing up in in you know in America, a lot of us network through church, mm. right? So a lot of people that I know that I work with, like like we met through church, sometimes, and then you know, like how did we end up in the same church, and how do you, like you can't replicate that, right? Yeah. Right, like it's relationships, like it's it's very random, but like like you definitely won't build relationships being alone and being a lone ranger, right? And trying to do this all yourself, and like and if you're not a people person, if you're not like social. You know, if, if you got like, you know, if you're anti-social or whatever, like, you know, that's going to be harder for you. But you have to make an effort, extra effort to go out and really network with people and be genuine with people. Yeah. And, you know, on a, even even on a non-musical thing, like even on a personal level, if you're uh, a cool person, uh, you know, you'll get around. You know, you know how I uh, try to get myself out there when I was a. Uh in a band and I was like a teenager. I, I remember I, I would go to the venues and just play my music, hoping that someone would pass mm. by and, you know, and listen to it. I, I remember, <laughs> you know, making my flyers and passing out flyers. I, I remember lying that I was uh, 18, I, I probably mm-hmm. like 15 or 16, so that I could play in a venue, you know, with my band, you know, and uh, I, yeah. I had extreme um, efforts to try to, you know, just, just get the music going out there and, and have these co- communication or conversations with people you know, that were already in the industry. It was hard, you know, mm-hmm. it, was, it wasn't me just going there and telling them, hey, you know, like, um, I'm really good. So you should, you should uh, check me out. And, you know, I know you're going to want mm-hmm. me. Like, it's, it's <laughs> like, you mm-hmm. said, it's a relationship based. It's not, it's never like just looking at someone going like, yeah, I should marry that person. And whoever yeah. you know, in, in their relationship, go uh, just meet a person and go, yeah, we should just get Because, yeah. you know, we just, we're at work. <laughs> and some of these circles, man, I'm telling you, like, like, like some of these inner circles, like the way they look at people is just like there's just no way you're gonna get into that circle like right and, and for for anybody else to like be a new guy in that circle is gonna be so hard right like because a lot of a lot of the guys that i actually work with are we've been friends for like 30 40 years wow. right like you can't replicate that by somebody and somebody have tried to come into the circle and try to like and it's just 
it's very hard to do. And then, and then, and if you ask, like, how did I meet these people 30 years ago? <laughs> Some of them lived in my neighborhood. Like, yeah, so, so if you look at, uh, like music documentaries, like, you know, like of other, other, you know, famous producers, artists, whatever, it's like, it's like, oh yeah, I grew up in Atlanta. And guess who lived next door it was, uh, you know, like so-and-so and down the street was so-and-so, you right. Or like I lived in Brooklyn and, uh, this guy, you know, he lived in the next building and we, we met and it's always like that. Right. So like, like, for example, like the way I met the other members from solid, I grew up with like John, like I knew him since I was in third grade. Right. And it just happens like, you know, when we first migrated to America, my parents, you know, somehow they met like on the street somewhere and then we became friends. Like, like, you know what I mean? Like it wasn't through an audition or anything like that. Right. So, you know, and like all those kind of relationships, man, like you can't, you, you got to be out there though. Like, and it's actually harder these days because kids don't go out. Right. I'm not, even before the pandemic, it's become more like a social network thing where it just, it's not very personable. Right. But like, you know, like artists naturally are very introverted. Like uh, some of them are right. And, and if you're, you know, if you're just saying like, ah, oh, I'm introverted and I am me and that's who I am. So if you don't like me, screw you. Right. Then, uh, yeah. you'll just be making music with your headphones on like yep. right so you really i mean networking is and you go like okay so then how do you network like like i said there's no real guidelines mm-hmm. right and some people uh naturally they don't make friends very well and thing is um majority of my friends that are in the music industry i met them b- before the music industry mm-hmm. like we were friends like we we're like homies growing up uh just just based on just other things yeah. Right. And uh, and we just got along and like, you know, we happened to get into music later. And, yeah. you know, like a lot of music connections that I have, uh, we didn't I, I never approach people like all business. Like it's never that way. Uh, you know, you just got to be a fun guy to hang out with. Right. And then and then people start to call you up and <laughs> whatever. Right. So that's just one way to do it. Uh, and I know a lot of people are asking, like, I think that's number one question is like, OK, I'm starting out right now. How do I get there, right? Mm-hmm. And the yeah, first thing is you, you definitely need to get out there. And like DMing is uh, is good to some extent, but like you have to come with some sort of a <laughs> tactic, uh, you know, other than just like, hey, man, yeah. like, let's work, you know? Like, it just doesn't work that way, mm-hmm. you know? Speaking of yeah. old friends, I had a friend that um, reached out to me and asked me a very interesting question. I'm just going to kind of read this off. He said... Uh, um, I was wondering from a business perspective, did you know that K-pop was going to blow up? So you got in the business or did you luck out and riding the wave? Uh, number one thing is this, uh, there's more Asians on this planet than any other ethnic group. Uh, that's just fact. I didn't, you know, it's not an opinion, right? right. That's fact. So you go, okay, with all those Asians in this planet, uh, we're like at the bottom of the, you know, the, the sort of like the the known market in the world, right? It, uh, or or been for a long time, mm-hmm. and now that K-pop is like kind of exposed uh, Asian music to right. to the Western world, uh, I think it's just the tip of the iceberg. Like this, you know what I mean? Just by sheer numbers, this will go on forever. As long as Korea is uh, is alive, K-pop's gonna exist forever, right? And it's just it's gonna be the new norm, like uh, and. If you look at just the uh, just a sheer number of like like Asians on this planet and the lack of representation, it's just completely ridiculous, right? 
And so back in the day, when I talked with major labels here, it's like, my point was this, right? Like you guys would invest all your money on these small acts that fill like maybe the, the house of blues, right? And we got K-pop artists filling out stadiums all across America. And you guys are overlooking this immense thing, right? right? And this was back in 2011, 12, when Big Bang and 21 was killing it, right? Yeah. Everywhere. Uh, and then and then they're like, well, you know, it is what it is, right? It's like basically telling me like, you know, like, like you know, if you say like, you know, Armenian music is huge in, in that region, right? And it's filling out stadiums like, like just we just don't care. Right. And that was sort of uh, what was thrown back at me. And then uh, and then, uh, you know, uh, of course, like Psy blew up uh, with this thing. Right. Gangnam style. And I told him, like, hey, he didn't just beat J-Lo, who happened to be like number one at like, I don't know, 250 million views or something. He broke the, the meter itself. Like like it didn't even go up to a billion until this guy broke it. Right. And they had to rebuild the whole counting system. And so this it's not it's not that Asians are coming out and just being represented. They're completely destroying it, like like just blowing it out of the water. Right. And these, uh, you know, record labels are just overlooking it. And they would rather put that money on some R&B artists like doing some bullshit in some small club like right o over over these uh, major, major big projects. Yeah. And that to me was something that I've been fighting for decades like with with uh, the record labels here, like yeah. right, and now now that BTS is blowing up, you see all these people now trying to jump on the bandwagon and doing it, but uh, there's still that silent majority saying, "Eh, this is just a fad; it's gonna pass away, you know, pass by, and it's gonna be gone," right? And kind of playing it off that way, and you know, to some degree, I mean, like a lot of people are still kind of holding on to the past, right? So, like like. You know, like, like, you know, like people still say, eh, you know, the, the music was better back in the 90s, 80s, you know, like always looking backwards. But like, this is the new future, man. Like, we are the new norm, like for, for the music industry. In fact, uh, I think we did we did a panel yesterday where, uh, you know, a, a friend of mine, like basically laid down the stats, man. Like, like Korea is like climbing up the, uh, the, the market size. We've surpassed Canada. We surpassed Australia. We're like one of the biggest music markets in the world now. Yep. South Korea, like alone, yep. right? And you got China, you got Japan, uh, Japan, which is already number two in the world after U.S. Uh, so Japan is bigger than all of Europe in terms of size, right? So Asian music is actually, it's something that's going to completely take over, like, <laughs> right? So statistically, for anybody to doubt that, it's just, uh, you know, it kind of goes back to the whole systemic racism thing that people discuss right now. It's just like, how can you be more systemically racist than this? Like when we got billions of Asians in this planet and you guys don't put out a single international star and we have to import it from Korea to here, yeah. right? We have to bring BTS and black people, they're, they're imports. They didn't, Universal didn't create that, right? Like none of the major labels here created that. Like that was created in Korea and was licensed to America, yeah. right? So people have to get that straight first. Yeah. Right, America had nothing to do with that development. Like Korea came up with that completely on their own, on our own. Right, so like like a lot of people try to take credit for that, but like fact is, we like Koreans had we had to do everything ourselves because we got no help from the Western world to develop K-pop. Right, but now that it's become big, a lot of people are approaching us to try to do it, and it's not too late. 
st there's still a lot to do because like like I said, there's billions of us, right? <laughs> right? All over the planet. So there's a lot more to do. It's just uh there's a lot of uh, injustice in in that in that department, I think. Yeah, I I think that it that just coming from you, I think it's so powerful because you know like yeah, exactly like just how music has been evolving and just how much of, you know, um the Asian you know, music industry has impacted just how music is being perceived and, you know, from a global standpoint, I think music needed that. I think music needed yeah. beyond something that's like, like the world was ready for mumble rap. Right. Yeah. Right? It's just, it is what it is. Like that's the new norm, man. Like, like, like a lot of the old cats, like can't keep up with the new stuff and they don't like it. Right. And they want things to be the way it was, uh, and it's not. And not only K-pop, but the U.S. pop has changed, you know, drastically in the last like ten years, right? Like Ko mentioned, you know, you paved the way for a lot of the the music to go outward from Korea and outside of our culture, you know. And I think mm -hmm. um, when you, you hear K-pop today, you know, we talk about uh, Gangnam Style, we talk about you know the BTS of the world and things like that, but you know, like. It, it wasn't like an overnight success. And I think for many people, they think that K-pop just came out of nowhere, but there has yeah. been a lot of, you know, deep development that occurred for it to go this way. And, and for me personally, that's why I've always believed in K-pop because I knew that it was, this was much bigger than something that, you know, that was supposed to be within culture. You know? Yeah. And music, uh, it's just a portion of it, right? Like, like if, if, a, if, if a good group with great songs could just, you know, just completely dominate the planet like it is doing right now. That's almost like it's very unlikely, right? It's because that, uh, you know, the whole Hollywood movement with like, you know, K-dramas, beauty, uh, you know, like just all this culture thing it blew up and it, it sort of uh, grew the fan base out, right? So it's like having a very, very healthy soil. So when you plant a seed, it just blossoms, right? And that's what K-pop is doing right now. It, and it took like 20 years for K-pop to build that fan base all over the world. Yeah. Right. And that had nothing to do with the U.S. government or U.S. record labels helping one bit, you know, and, and like uh, K-pop, basically, you know, uh, Korea had to basically develop that, you know, all our own, basically. Right. Right. And then now that, uh, you know, BTS and Blackpink and everybody is blowing up during the pandemic. Now everybody's like, oh, my God, you know, I smell money over there. So let's go, let's go play, play in that field. Right. And I get it. It's fine. And, it, you know, and that's part of, like, the, the growth, right? Uh, you know, uh, back in 2002, you know, I'm not going to say what label. I could only give you the initials, EMI, <laughs> right? <laughs> right? Uh, straight up, they told me, like, hey, we're not doing any Asian artists. Straight up. Uh, this is in 2002, you know. Yeah. And and they're like, well, you know, like, you, you can start it, and, uh, uh, and, you know, and if you blow up with it, we'll jump on the bandwagon. But before that, like we're not interested, right? And and it wasn't like uh, the music is you know, this and that. It was just like like basically you people, right? <laughs> Whatever you Asians are doing, we're just not with it. That was what uh, I mean. Can it be more like like racist than that, right? But uh, it's been said. So okay, whatever. And then and then you know, yeah. uh, you know, of course, twenty years later, things are like now like very different, right? And I don't blame them. I said, you know, I told them, like, you know, wow. You know, thank you for the honesty, at least, right? And you're not blowing up, you know, smoke up my ass, right? <laughs> right? Uh, so I was like, well, at least thank, thank you for the honesty. And and I've seen that growth in the U.S., like like the awareness of K-pop, right? 
completely dead for like 10 years, you know, and, you know, then we had like Korean execs work be behind the scenes in these record companies, taking their fellow workers to K-Town, get some Korean barbecue. They're like, wow, this is delicious. What is this? Oh, it's Kaibi. Let's go get some soju after. And, you know, and they built this kind of uh, a culture in K-Town, right, with these Hollywood execs and music industry people. And they're like, ah, I like this. This food is great. So that food becomes kind of public. And, you know, it's just one by one, all of our culture start to kind of translate over and including like, you know, and, you know, unbelievable, right? Like, like for me, watching non-Koreans watching K-dramas is amazing. Like, wow. right. Think about that. 10 years ago, like unthinkable. Right. But now, you know, people all over, you know, South America, like Europe, just loving K-drama. Right. So there, you know, there's been a lot of changes. Right. And, and. Is this a fad? I don't know. I think if it started last year, yeah, it might be a fad. But yeah, it's been going on for a few decades. So and it keeps growing. I think it's yeah, it's on a tangent. It's it's uh, it's on a growth uh, spurt. And then not only that, I think like you know we're getting a lot of strategic partners from the Western world now, trying to collaborate, right? Which kind of broadens the market. And Hi, now, right? Food abroad, and you know, yeah, it's great. That's that's the next move, man. You know. Instead of uh, you know us trying to come out here and try to figure everything out like in, in a you know away court right, right like to get some help and, and get some legitimate help here and you know have some partners and like kind of strategize together, that's that's the next phase. Yeah, yeah. There needs to be change, and especially a time like this, you know, we we mm. need to really push forward in that. Um, and you know, for me personally, I think that's why it's a, it's a, such an important time for us to be more vocal about these tough things. You know? Yeah, definitely. And you know, like like for me, you know, when I was working with Asiatics, I got to meet a lot of record execs, and you know, like like actually hear it from their horse's mouth. You know, like what's really uh, in the minds of the decision makers, right? And to be honest, it wasn't it wasn't nearly as enthusiastic as it is now. Right. And things change, you know, constantly. So uh, and it's changing for the better. Right. And it's it's definitely time for some Asian representation in music. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's just like, you know, like I said, I mean, purely based on stats, like, you know, based on how many of us are on this planet and how there's like nobody. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So that that just blew my mind. And it's something that I've been always wanting to uh, get out there is like. You know, and, you know, and, and again, I, you know, it's not like I'm trying to create the next Michael Jackson or you know, next Justin Bieber. Like, I just want somebody to be able to just be one of the players. Yeah. Right. Like, if it's the NBA, he'd be a bench warmer, fine. Right. But just be part of the team, like, right, and be recognized as as one member of of a league, right. And I think now we're starting to get that, so that's that's huge. Yeah, and I imagine you know this to you know mean a lot to you, especially because. You know, you come from here and then you, you've been out in Korea. Yeah. And, you know, like even with the recent, like, you know, anti-Asian hate movement and all this stuff, you know, the number one key thing that people point out is the fact that we're invisible. Like we're being overlooked. Right. Yeah. Right. And that is absolutely true in the entertainment world, like in the music world, especially, you know, when we're showing them these numbers, like, hey, we're selling more tickets than you guys. We're, we're, you know, doing bigger things than you guys. Like, you know, this is, and this is just the tip of the iceberg. And they're like, hey, we're not interested. Like, like, like if we were doing less numbers, right? 
and they were denying us. Like, I, I, I get it, right? But when we're out doing these numbers, then the local artists here, and they're saying no, purely based on the fact, just, you know, just the fact that we're Asians, like, you know, it, it doesn't get any more racist than that to me, right? It's one thing to assume that the business thinks that way, right? Uh, I think I'm one of the few people that actually got to the front door and heard it, like, <laughs> with my own ears, right? So I, I know it's out there. So, you know, and, and slowly even those people's minds are changing, which is which is good. And, and a, lot of, a lot of them are still skeptical mm-hmm. about the future of K-pop and its legitimacy and, you know, like... Like from any you know, like music buffs, like like opinion, you know, they'll look at K-pop and go, oh, it's manufactured. Uh, you know, it's, it's it kind of goes against everything Western music, you know, like standard believes in, you know, right? So, it, you know, but you know, numbers don't lie, man. It's just uh, <laughs> yeah, and 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 there's not, and there's also like so much diverse genres in our music that people fail to uh, you know look into, right? And you know, there's there's so much more to Korean music, K- Korean culture than just boy bands and girl bands too, right? There's like so much more. So uh, I think it's gonna go on for a long time. Yes, I agree. You know, like like you know, music is a very powerful thing, right? And you know, uh, when you're born with the desire to do music, it's everything. People, you know, give up their day jobs to pursue it. It's it becomes a passion. And when somebody tells you you can't do it because of your ethnicity. Right? There's nothing more sad than that, right? And I mean, it's just absolute injustice when it comes to that stuff. Like how we have such little representation, whether it's a music producer, whatever, you know, like like other people are given priority over us like every single day. And it's something that we have to prove. And it's like, and, and the whole idea of like, oh, we got to do 10 times more to get the same recognition. And we've done 100 times more now. Like, right? Side didn't do 100 million views. He got a billion views, right? That's ten times more, man. And now people are like, "Oh, right, it's it's a real thing, right? It's not just a a, a gimmick or a, a just a novelty. It's it's actually a, a thing, right? And it's uh it's taken a long time, but I mean, just the fact that we've been overlooked for so long, you know, it's at least now like people need to like start to look in and really recognize. Yeah. So uh. to answer that question earlier, for me personally, I, I'm doing this because this is what. Um, I want to fight for. This is what I believe in. Um, you know, K-pop is not just about like, you know, uh, a catchy song or, you know, something that yeah. we, you know, as a producer and, and songwriter. But for me personally, it's just, you know, I take great pride in the fact that, you know, uh, 50 years ago, I mean, 10 years ago, Korea was still, still like a different, you know, place. And just to, yeah. to see, you know, what, um, the growth and just, um, you know, just, just how things have really elevated um outward into this global scale you know uh with music and just everything else i mean we look at you know uh, automobiles you know hyundai's have come up a lot i mean it's like you know oh, yeah, man. um samsung you know like electronics samsung has been you know one of the biggest uh players now in the game and and then with music too just with so many of the the acts are crossing over now so it's like it's like you know i i take great pride in just um even though i i you know i wasn't born in korea um, even just as a Korean American, I take great pride in being um, part of that movement and part of that growth. You know, you know I think, uh, you know, just when you, when you talk about being Korean, right? Like, I think if you're born and raised in Korea, you never really, you never really put in, in a position to defend your ethnicity, right? <laughs> right? 
uh, when you're Korean American, like you have to defend that every single day of your life, right? Out in public. And I think uh, in some ways, Korean Americans are, way, you know, just very patriotic because of that, because we, we, we're the ones that actually have to fight for our recognition, right? Right? So, you know. When, when the World Cup happens, all Korean Americans, we cheer for Korea. You know? <laughs> Korea. <laughs> it's funny that we would all cheer for Korea. And then yeah. in, when we ask other people from, you know, um, <laughs> or just parents came from a different country, I'm like, do you root for your parents, like, you know, country? They're like, no, it's the U.S. all the way. You know, uh, us, it's like, we still cheer for Korea. Isn't that, isn't that uh, thing? But you know, I think that's that you're, you're absolutely right. I think even uh, Korean Americans, like we take even greater pride in the fact that, you know, we come from that culture and we're part of that culture, even though, you know, as Korean Americans, I've heard, yeah. you know, I, uh, we go through this identity crisis, right? Where, you know, I've been to Korea and they said, oh, you're an American. I come here or I'm, I'm out here and they say, oh, you're, yeah. so, you know, it's like, what are we, <laughs> you know, like, we're like, yeah, we're like in a rock and a hard place, man. Like, we're neither. We're like we're like nomads. Yeah. We're like we're like yeah we're like <laughs> yeah we're outsiders in every that, realm. Um, that that time where Korea went up to fourth place that was two thousand and two World Cup right? Oh yeah man. Was it? Yeah two thousand two. Two thousand four. Two thousand two. Yeah. We went to Korea shortly after that, and I haven't been to Korea ever since then until re until we started going for sessions mm -hmm. i remember flying into incheon and i got emotional because <laughs> uh -huh. at that point it was about 15 years since i mm. last went to korea and flying into the airport i was like wow i'm back in the motherland yeah. <laughs> like there was that overwhelming sense of just pride just just being korean just kind of going back to um you know the motherland in a sense even yeah. having, even not being there for over a decade it was just a very touching moment and i think it's just instilled in to all of us just um mm -hmm. that because korea just went through a lot of hardships to get to where it is today yeah and uh being part of that wave and uh uh and just seeing it grow is it's definitely it, it touches and, and definitely a soft spot for all of us yeah i mean you know it, even just a few years ago like like hearing korean or k-pop or anything related to korea like and grammys in the same sentence, like, right? Yeah. You, you know, it's just like a parallel universe, like that would never cross path, right? And now we're hearing these names, you know, being nominated and movies being, you know, like like nominated, winning awards. It's something that uh, we're, we should be very proud of. All right, guys, hope you guys enjoyed episode three. Um, hope you guys got to take something away from it. Um, I know I have. Um, if you guys can, please smash that like button, subscribe. Uh, spread the word, guys. Um, you know, we're, we're trying to just provide as much knowledge from these grooves as much as we can. And um, hope to catch you guys next week. See ya.